to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The God in whose very hand your breath is, you have not glorified. And you know, you think of the, the people today in power in this world, their breath, they can't even breathe except God allows them to, but they they don't acknowledge it. They won't acknowledge it. They refuse to acknowledge it, but they will one day. They will have to. They will be forced into submission. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Revelation. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16 in a message titled, The Return of the King. Now here's Pastor Brian. We have pictured him as that one who's full of grace, who's full of mercy, who's humble and gentle in heart and all of that. And all of that is true. But when he comes again, he will come with a different demeanor. He will come as the judge. And he himself will tread the winepress of the wrath of God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The return of the king, the king has come again. He's the king of kings. Now, this is speaking of his position in the future. He's going to establish his kingdom, and there will be kings throughout the earth that, of course, he will be the king over them. He will establish lords throughout the earth, but he will be the lord over them. But it also speaks of the present situation. It's just that presently people do not acknowledge it. Jesus is right now the king of kings. You know, there's not a single ruler on the planet that does anything that he does not allow for them to do. Men are not autonomous like they think they are. Men are not independent of God like they think they are. You know, it it always amazes me to listen to the boastings of certain people, you know, people in power and so forth. And, you know, the the attitude is, is one of, you know, we made ourselves. We're, we have this, you know, it's an attitude of pride, basically. It's like Belshazzar, the king. He was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And maybe you remember that story there in Daniel where he's having this, this great feast with all of his lords and he decides to mock the God of heaven, the God that the Jews worship. And he calls for the, the different things that his grandfather had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. He calls for the gold uh, cups and the bowls and things that were used in the, in the offering of the sacrifices. And he uses these to worship the gods of gold and silver and stone. And it's just this big mockery. He's just mocking the true God. And suddenly, you remember the story, there's a hand that appears and it writes on the wall. Meeny, meeny, tuckle you farson. And, and instantly, Belshazzar is undone. It says that his joints were loosened and his knees began to smote one against the other. You know, that, that's the reality uh, of, the, of the prideful people who have ruled over the world in one instant. And, and what, what my point was 
is that Daniel, when he finally comes to Belshazzar, he says this. He says, the God in whose very hand your breath is, you have not glorified. And you know, you think of the, the people today in power in this world. One, their breath, they can't even breathe except God allows them to, but they, they don't acknowledge it. They won't acknowledge it. They refuse to acknowledge it, but they will one day. They will have to. They will be forced into submission. And so that's what we're talking about here. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, but it will be manifested universally that that is the case. So this is the, the return of the king. But what about the beast? What about the armies? What about all of the forces that have arrayed themselves and, and lined up against him? Well, look at what it says in verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the beast, remember the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. So this is the most mind-boggling thing of all time. You know, think of all these science fiction movies that we have today, and it just seems like every other movie that comes out of Hollywood today is a science fiction movie, that there's some invasion from another world, you know, from outer space, and all the people of the world have to join together to fight off this uh, invasion. And, you know, it, it's, it's almost like this. Here's what's happening. The beast has gathered together the armies of the earth. They've, they've gathered in that valley of Armageddon there or the Valley of Megiddo, and they're coming up against Jerusalem. But in the end, and this is the thing that's most astounding, they are going to actively, intentionally fight against God. They're, they're going to knowingly fight against the Lord. But what happens? The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked the signs. See, this is what I mean about, like, Tell us more about how the beast was captured. <laughs> Tell us like how, he, you know, that, that's, that's what you want to see. You know, you want to see that moment where they, oh, they got it. They got the beast. You know, remember, because the beast was the one that they said, who is like the beast? Who can make war with him? Remember, he had that deadly wound that was healed and everybody clamored after the beast. Oh, who is like him? And here is this blasphemous, arrogant person who has deceived the whole world and seems to be invincible. And he comes up against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the beast was captured. And along with him, the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image these two were cast into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So here's the scene. And we need to understand this. This takes place over, over a period of time. This, this is not, you know, sometimes I think we read about this and we think, okay, it just, you know, happens in a flash and it's all said and done. Jesus comes back. 
all the enemies are destroyed and the righteous kingdom is set up and poof, it's all just perfect now. We live in a perfect world. It all happened in, you know, 20 minutes. Uh, no, this is, this is something that's happening over a period of time, weeks probably, maybe even a bit longer. Because what you have is the nations of the world under the, the leadership of the Antichrist, they're coming to, to destroy Jerusalem. Je uh, Zechariah 14, I will gather all the nations of the earth against Jerusalem. And so they're coming and they're, they're seeking the destruction of Jerusalem. And remember, Zechariah 14, half the city is taken. And so all of this is going on. This battle is taking place. And it's in the midst of this battle that Jesus comes to the rescue of Jerusalem. That's the picture. He comes. And that's why Isaiah says, who is this who comes from Edom? He comes from the east. And it seems because he comes with his garments already stained that he is already engaged in, in war as he's making his way to Jerusalem. Now, we know that the, we saw last week how Babylon is destroyed. Maybe Babylon is the first place to, to take the hit from the Lord. But then he comes and he's coming to Jerusalem. And like Zechariah prophesied, he will put his feet on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives will split in two. Do you remember in Luke's gospel when Jesus ascended to heaven? Where did he ascend from? He ascended from the Mount of Olives. And when he was ascending up into heaven and the disciples were standing there looking, uh, the angel appeared to them and said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who left just like this is going to come back in the exact same way. And he's going to come back to the exact same spot. Jesus left from the Mount of Olives. He's going to come back and show himself as the king of Israel, the king of the Jews. He's going to come right back to that place. So then as, as Jesus comes, then apparently word will <laughs> spread that the king is returned. And again, in Zechariah, it talks about how suddenly the eyes of the inhabitants of Jerusalem are going to be opened and they're going to realize, it says they're going to look upon me whom they have pierced. They're going to mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. There's going to be weeping and lamentation in Jerusalem like there never has been before. The Jews' realization that they have rejected their savior all of these centuries. But now in mercy, he has come to save them. So that word is apparently going to go out. And then all the, the rallying of all of these troops, the beast and the, the armies of the world. And yet the battle is over before it gets started. And once the Lord returns, because the beast is captured and with him, the false prophet, and they are cast alive into the lake of fire. These are the first two inhabitants of the lake of fire. Now, the lake of fire, we commonly call it hell. The Greek word in the New Testament is Gehenna. And there's no one in Gehenna today. Everyone who has died up until this point, if they've, if they've been a believer, they've gone to be with the Lord. If they've not been a believer, they've gone to what the Old Testament calls Sheol or the New Testament calls Hades. They go to, a, it's, a, it's a waiting place, really. 
It's kind of like, you know, a, a criminal goes to jail, goes to trial, and then is sentenced to prison or whatever the case might be. So, so this is kind of like jail. They're in jail. And one day, after the great white throne judgment that we'll get to later, those who have rejected Christ will then themselves be cast into the lake of fire. But the beast and the false prophet are the first two to inhabit it. They will be the first two in the lake of fire. And then it says the rest, and that's a reference to the armies that have come with them. The rest were killed with a sword which proceeded out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse. So the armies will be obliterated. Now, remember, the saints are coming back with the Lord. The angels are coming back with the Lord. And no doubt, this is where the saints and the angels are going to execute part of this judgment. Now, um, I don't know how many of you saw the, the film, The Lord of the Rings. How many of you saw the, the final one, The Return of the King? But there's, there's a part in there. And I don't know that it's, it's, it's a good analogy in one way. So receive it in that way. Uh, in, in another way... <laughs> It's just the, the visual, the visual. The, the, guys who, the guys are not the good guys. They're, they're kind of bad guys. It's the, the dead of Dunharo. Remember those guys? They were the guys who were bad and they broke their oath and so they were confined to be in death. And then Aragorn, he goes and he summons them. He shows them he's got the sword. And then so they, in order to get out of this dead state, they're gonna do something good for once and they're gonna you know, fight with him. But it's this army of spirits, basically. That's my point. It's a, it's a spirit army, and they just mow down all of the rest of the armies. And it just, it's this great visual where it just shows these, you know, sort of ghostly-like guys with their battle axes and their swords and everything. And they just go through, and they just sweep everybody away. You know, I kind of visualize, except for the bad dead guy part, uh, <laughs> That's kind of what it's going to look like. And we're talking about an army of glorified saints. You see, that's the thing. The saints are glorified. And the angels. And so, in, in a sense, it's a spiritual army. That this earthly army, with all of the weaponry, with all of the amazing you know, advancement in technology that we have today, with all of the weapons that we have today that are so far beyond anything anybody's ever knew in history. Of course, those will be the weapons that are brought to bear, but they will be of absolutely no use. And so the armies are destroyed. Now think about this. The world still has plenty of people in all different kinds of locations. And what's going to happen now? Well, again, like I was saying, it isn't an instantaneous thing. There's a process. The Lord, I believe the armies now will be sent out from there to the various parts of the world to subject everything to Christ over a period of time. There's an interesting passage in Daniel that seems to indicate there's a 45-day period from the time the Lord actually sets his foot back on the Mount of Olives till there's the, this final judgment. There's like a 45-day sort of a cleanup campaign that goes on. And so that's what's happening. But then it says, one, one other thing here, it says, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. The parallel passage in the Old Testament is Ezekiel 39. 
Listen to what it says. It says, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every sort of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come. Gather together from all sides to my sacrificial meal, which I am sacrificing for you, a great sacrificial meal on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat the flesh and drink the blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth. You shall be filled at my table with horses and riders, with mighty men and with all the men of war, says the Lord God. This is the parallel passage. This is why I personally do not believe that Ezekiel 38 and 39 are a separate battle from the one that we're talking about here. I think it's the same battle. It's the same outcome. And that's a different study. But the point is, the armies are slain. The, the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. But what about the devil? Well, turn the page to chapter 20. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into, notice, not the lake of fire, but the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So the devil who instigated the whole thing from the very beginning he is now dealt with, and he is confined in the bottomless pit. There's a seal upon him, and for 1,000 years, he is restricted. Now, we're gonna, we'll get into it later, but he will, of course, be released for a short time. He will have no effect on any of the believers, but he will try to rally a, 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 another rebellion against Christ. He'll be overthrown. And then he will be cast into the lake of fire to join the beast and the false prophet. And all of those who followed him throughout history will then be cast into the lake of fire as well. So we just jumped way forward here in Revelation. But that's where everything is headed. Now, as we close, I want to close with a reading, just reading the second psalm. Because the second psalm is really the, the place where all of this is, again, without the detail, it's all pretty much stated. But let me just say this before I do that. You know, this is like, it's like C.S. Lewis said. It, you know, because in, in a lot of ways, this, this is like, it's like all of the greatest legends. It's like all of the greatest myths, you know. When I was a kid, I loved like, you know, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table and, you know, all of, all of those kinds of stories. You know, the story where the, the king was maybe, my, my favorite movie of, of all time probably is the movie uh, with Charlton Heston uh, called El Cid. And, you know, it's about this, um, you know, a Spanish ruler back during the uh, 12th century and, you know, anyway, he's, you know, he's exiled. He's the righteous guy, and, but he's rejected by the king and he's exiled and all of this stuff. But anyway, he comes back and he basically saves the people from this great Islamic invasion and so forth. And, and you know, he's actually a, a, a Spanish national hero. But, but anyway, it's, my point is this. We know it. I mean, you see it in Star Wars. You see it in the Lord of the Rings films. Uh, you see it in all of these different places. You see the same story. It's the story basically of good 
conquering evil. It's the story of the, of the true king, the righteous king, the one who was rejected, the one who was exiled, but who comes back and he wins the day and he establishes the kingdom. Those are stories that are just borrowed from the greater story. And my point about C.S. Lewis is he said this to Tolkien. He said, he said, this is the myth that is true. Like all, all of these other myths have, have drawn from this one, but this one's true. And that's the reality. This one is true. And as we look around, you know, the Bible gives us things to look at and we see that the Bible, it, it just tells us where everything's going and we're right on course. We're following course just as, as the scripture said. But here in the Psalm the second psalm as we close. Let me read it. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. That is what we've just read about. That's what's happening. God, as the nations try to throw off the yoke of God and his Christ, and man, they are doing their best to do it now, aren't they? But as they attempt to do it, he that sits in the heaven shall laugh. But look at verse 10. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. This is God's counsel to the kings of the earth. But nobody's listening. This is God's word to the judges of the earth. But They've turned a deaf ear to it. Kiss the sun. Humble yourself before the sun. Pay homage to the sun, lest he be angry and you perish. And tragically, we know the story that that is what will happen. Most of the kings of the earth will shun this word from God and bring about their own demise. But for every single person, whether you're a king or a judge or anything else, this is God's word to everyone. Kiss the sun. Humble yourself before the sun. Pay homage to the sun. And those who do that are blessed. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. You're blessed today. Your sins are forgiven. You're blessed today. You enter into a relationship with God. You live in fellowship with him. And then you're blessed forever because you're part of this wonderful kingdom that he's going to establish. Now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. 
Have I got a book for you. The book is entitled, The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. And this book is written by a good friend of mine named Nick Cady. And in the book, Nick deals with topics like a God who hasn't proven his existence, a God who creates hateful, hypocritical followers, a God who says some love is wrong. And Nick really tackles these from just, a, I think, a brilliant point of view, of course, going back to Scripture and showing that there are good biblical answers to all of these objections. So I want to recommend and I highly recommend Nick Cady's book, The God I Won't Believe In. Again, this month's resource is a book titled The God I Won't Believe In by Nick Cady. You can order the book, The God I Won't Believe In, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The God I Won't Believe In, by Nick Cady, to help you wrestle with the common cultural barriers to embracing Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Revelation. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.